Hello, everyone, and welcome to the With the Terrible Fate podcast. I'm Dan Hughes. I'm Aaron Saduko. And we're back. We're back again. Guess who's back? Back again. We are the, back. With, with a terrible fate is back. It doesn't go with the rhythm of this song. We are oh, friends. I thought, I thought I had to. <laughs> we are friends. There you go. See, that's why it's co-hosts. That It's it's that yeah. kind of witty rat-a-tat that allows us to do sophisticated things like finishing sentences. That's it. Yep. When we can do that, <laughs> it's a good day. That's, well, I call that we, a great day. <laughs> we had such a fun time with our spooky episode. We figured that we would just uh, make this a more regular thing. So we're here and... I should say we, we have no agenda <laughs> or topics really. I figured um, Aaron and I get together. Uh, this kind of goes back to the the heart of what the podcast was originally, like four or five years ago. Which the drawing the, board, yeah, board, yeah, with just ideas or things that we're thinking about or like things we're doing. And I think we're even taking it a step further than that and just kind of saying like, you know, this is what we're playing right now. This is kind of what we're involved with so i like to think of it as uh, i know you'll light up as soon as i say this dan the las olas ethos you know yeah. it's funny I, i'm surprised <laughs> that we didn't try this sooner because for listeners who aren't familiar with the deep lore of my friendship with dan a uh, big part of how we originally got into growing out about games with each other was truly just hanging out at the local burrito joint uh, in the town where we went to high school together and just shooting the breeze about everything, including the games that we were playing. Um, so I'm, I'm shocked that it didn't occur to us to try something like that sooner because I'm always kicking myself that we don't record and publish just the ordinary conversations where we stumble into a lot of the interesting things about games that we do later. It's even a step further back, though, than the drawing board, isn't it? Because like, yeah. I think as much as I really enjoyed those podcasts, I don't want to say that we were shooting ourselves in the foot, but it was a little more structured, I think, than it wanted to be because the whole conceit was, oh, let's, you know, talk through things with less of an idea uh, and just see where we end up. But it was still very agenda focused in the way that you might have a topic going into a brainstorming session or that, uh, which already, I think, kind of takes you out of the flow in which so many of us just naturally have conversations kind of uh, connecting the dots between the games we're playing in our real lives. Yeah, it was, they were good. I think we kind of, uh, disambiguated a bit of our lexicon a bit in a lot of them like terms mm -hmm. that we liked or didn't like um and mostly kind of didn't that, i think if memory didn't, serves. Yeah. and uh things that we you know kind of realizations that we had come to but that's already kind of a free you know a preformed thought so yeah. i think not that this is going to be a brainless <laughs> exercise but oh should yeah, i go right. dust off and get my brain out of storage and yeah, right. <laughs> left in the other room no this is this is more of a yeah, like you said, kind of recreating that that hangout feeling. So I think that um, I'm going to start uh, with the question that a lot of podcasts like this ask. It's a tried and true method, which is just, uh, you know, what have you been playing recently? People will probably know more than people <laughs> know what I've been playing recently. <laughs> but walk us through it, because there's a big release that came out that you're really excited about. There was about. a big release, yes. So for people who have not checked up on me in the last eight months i've been buried in bandai <laughs> namco's tales series um i did have a nice moment last night where i felt like finally because this is how so many academic projects go almost a year into it i'm starting to see the matrix a little bit because the whole conceit of this project for people who aren't familiar with it is the tale series is very similar to something like final fantasy in terms of having all these different flagship releases which are worlds and epic stories unto themselves and don't always have a lot of explicit connective tissue between them like you know there's a lot of thematic connections between for instance something like final fantasy 7 and final fantasy 10 but they're in totally different worlds and in many ways never the two shall meet right similar thing going on with the tales games um but especially given what an impact they had on me growing up and just the overall um thematic concerns of the series and the fact that it's one of those series where stepping into any one of the games i would say people who are familiar with the series can pretty distinctively recognize right away oh this is a tales game like that's mm -hmm. enough to get me interested in trying to uncover 
kind of an intertextual meaning between all these different entries by playing them all, uh, of which there are many, I think almost 20, not quite 20. I can't sit down and count them because every time I do, I have an existential crisis. Well, there's um, all like the weird <laughs> Japanese only spinoffs and like gotcha games. And, and Japanese like only like mothership titles that just were never mm -hmm. localized over here. So I continue to hope that, um, especially as Bamco kind of reach reaches backward into its history to create more products as opposed to generating new things. I mean, we might shake our heads and be cynical about that, but they have a lot of great stuff that has never made it over here. So I'm hopeful they will make an excuse sooner rather than later in order to finally get those over here. But yeah, so I, I finally felt though, as if I could start to see the matrix a little bit in terms of just all of those intertextual connections, the virtues of which I've been extolling for a long time, because like some of the themes that I myself have been working on and kind of deriving in my analyses of the games uh, are starting to become things that are more transparent to me in the new things that I'm playing. Like I had this moment of delight on the stream because as you mentioned, this new shiny thing has come out uh, an unexpected DLC for the most recent yeah, Tales game. It was a real Tales surprise. Took everyone by surprise. It's two years after the original release uh, and, a, and change a few extra months. Uh, and yeah, no one was really expecting it which I, I have a sneaking suspicion is part of what their plan was all along based on sort of the themes and story that was being told in the DLC, which is really, really interesting. Uh, I mean, I tweeted about this, but it's, it's not just another great piece of Tales content. They're being really just immensely thoughtful in terms of what kind of story they want to tell and uh, pushing a lot of the boundaries that you and I both really love in terms of video game storytelling and mm -hmm. pushing against the particular constraints of the medium in order to tell that story in a really cool and compelling way. So that's my way of saying you need to fucking play it sooner rather than later so we can start talking about it. <laughs> well, I'll get into it when I'm talking about what I've been playing. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm juggling things right now, but I'm really excited for that one. That's the one that I'm like... Uh, very much looking forward to playing so I'm, but it's I'm been great and it's it's up. the it's the kind of entry that really leads me to encourage everyone to go back to their own libraries and review all of uh you know the games and series that they love in a similar way so that they can try to see these connections and if you love the tale series you know follow along and check out everything i'm doing for tales of praxis because like i for instance i had an extended moment on the stream last night where there's this whole sequence and kind of turn that the story takes where it has this particular focus and out of context, like, you know, it might be something that's transactionally interesting or maybe gives a little bit of insight into the characters of the game. But I just had like an, an unusual and rewarding moment of clarity where I found myself saying, oh, wow, this is like so thematically resonant with this core aspect of something I've been looking at in the other games and the whole theme that I mm -hmm. teased out and, um, analyzed and articulated from this article that I published recently comparing Tales of Vesperia with Tales of Destiny for those who might be aware of those games or my work on it. Um, so it really is one of those cases where, you know, the people who tell these stories and are involved uh, in the publication of them over decades, like uh, they can't help but have these sorts of intertextual conversations, even if they're not always consciously processing it. So as a consumer and as someone who's helping to create these narratives uh, from the interactive player uh, end of it, it can be just so edifying and, and materially change the substance of what you're going through to have that background context. If you have a spare, like however many hundreds of hours to do yeah, it, I right. suppose. <laughs> well, I, I think that with my, uh, I mean, especially compared to 20 games or whatever the count is with my limited uh, experience my my growing but limited experience with the Tales games. I feel like something that I really appreciate about them is things that I think would feel like Easter eggs in other games are mm. more like interesting little thematic threads that connect things in mm -hmm. a way that feels more cohesive than. I mean, there's there's certainly things in like Final Fantasy where names persist, like Sid, and so it's it's sure. almost like a um, a placeholder for what kind of character you're going to get with that, that person who has that name. But there's something about like the little name drops where I feel like most of the experiences I've had, they don't even draw attention to it. It's just like, Hey, this is a name you recognize, or this is a place you might recognize, or this idea of magic is very similar to this other mm -hmm. game. And we're not going to really comment on it, but you can definitely see it there. I think that's really cool about the Tales games that they 
they're definitely explicitly like different worlds because there's often DLC or special dungeons where, you know, characters from other games show up and it's clear like, no, they're from a different world. And yet everything feels very connected, even if you mm -hmm. don't really feel it. Yeah, I think it's the only instance I can think of of a series where um, they'll offer alternate DLC costumes where you can dress up the characters uh, from a given game in the outfits of iconic characters from other games. Other and instead of Aaron immediately bristling at that as a cash grab, it'll, for me, raise interesting questions of asking, okay, why did they choose these particular outfits? Mm. And, you know, if you're able to put Shion and Velvet's outfit, what does that say about kind of the thematic relationship between those two characters and, you know, particular aspects of them that might not have been as obvious when you were just playing through the game on its own, but seen in this light, you can come to appreciate the characters in different ways. And I think that really speaks to the just the ethos and perspective according to which Tales brings in those connections. Um, it's it's fantastic. And little things like, like Easter eggs that are so mindfully integrated and not the kind of wink and nod that we both bristle at so often, um, yeah. such that you know you can appreciate it if you know and it can add a lot to the game, but it's not as if they're lording it over you if you don't have that accessibility. Like there was a moment early on in um, my playthrough of Tales of Graces that I've been working through on the stream where it's just, it's a little almost throwaway moment where you stop um, at the stall with two characters in town to get um, like a frozen ice pop from this vendor. And you can think of it as just, a nice little moment between um, like a teacher and his student uh, getting to know each other and just going around the town more. It's also like a shot for shot call out of a moment from the plot of Tales of Destiny, like mm. um, maybe 15 years earlier in the series, uh, which adds a whole other layer to it. But you know, they don't, they don't turn it into camp. They don't call it out. It's just, if you know it, you can use it and you can integrate that into your approach to the game. Uh, and if not, you can just read the game on its own terms, which I think is a nice way of affording the player a certain respect. Weren't you telling me too that um, in Tales of Zestiria, there's so in Tales of Zestiria, there's uh, a, a race of like humanoid creatures called turtles, and there's a, <laughs> there's a quest. Uh, actually, they're called toitles. Toitles. Well, yeah, I was playing Japanese. Toitles, toitles, or something like that. But, no, it's um, Joey Wheeler in a turtle it suit. Joey, it's Joey Wheeler all the way down. Joey That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but they have this quest where you eventually, when you reach the end of it, it's a really camp, silly scene with a really hard boss fight, I should say. Like it's really, oh, yeah. It's like a weird mix. <laughs> arguably the hardest in the game. <laughs> I know. It's like a secret boss, but arguably yeah. it's it's the silliest moment in the game, but it's also the hardest with that boss fight. But then you were telling me, that supposedly that scene is like a parody of a scene from, is it Zillia? Yeah, Zillia. And yeah. I only know that because of the joy of the real life JRPG party that's been going through these games on the stream with me. But yeah, one of our uh, mainstay uh, followers who is an encyclopedic Tales fan and a huge Zillia fan was the one who pointed out to me is basically like a a shot for shot joke reenactment of a moment in Zillia. So, which will be great for me because then when I get to Zillia, like my first joke. point of reference <laughs> will be the joke. <laughs> that's, that's what I love about, uh, that's what I love about, I mean, the Tales games do this, but just in general, like when you're doing reference like that, I want, I, this is one of my pet peeves with anything, video games, movies, books. I want the characters in the scene to be taking it seriously. Because if it's, even if it's meant to be funny, if they're taking it seriously with this ridiculous setup, then you can enjoy that beyond just, oh, I recognize this as a parody from Zillia. You know, like I've been following this little Toitles quest <laughs> and now I have the, you know, the ultimate showdown with this like dark Toitles and I've got to, I've got to help him out, you know? It's fun too because like when when the characters do take even the silliest jokes uh, seriously, I think it can make it all the more rewarding in the way that we're talking about to like go back and do almost an anthropological survey of the origins of the jokes in the series and see yeah, where they came yeah. from. You'll love this. So you know that I um, lost my mind recently over how cool Tales of Eternia is. And I'm trying yeah, to tell you as little as possible about it. It's it, you will have so much to talk about. It will blow your mind in so many ways. But 
one of the things that I do have to tell you because it's it's so cool and it's it's not a spoiler for the main stuff, but it's a cool spoiler for some of the stuff in the series because you know um, for those who know the Tales games, Toidles are one of several sort of ambiguously anthropomorphic joke races that show up uh, across the games. They're not the only ones. Like cats and well, there you I go. Guess, I guess like one. even the even the um, the owls in uh, Arise are kind of like a weird. Thing. I think I I think technically, if we push the glasses up the bridge of our nose and and Please. slice hairs about it, it would be more of a mascot we would call the owls. So something okay. more along well, the lines de- of repeat or knowish, as opposed. To, it's different brands of silly, they're Daniel. Great. Yeah, <laughs> they're fantastic. Yes, they are fantastic. No doubt about yeah. that. But the fun thing about the cats. So I like I think many gamers stumbled into the lexicon of cats with Tales of Symphonia when I played yeah. that growing up, and they're very silly you know they have their own little cats village in there there's a touching um side quest with genus that uh, in typical tales fashion relates the very silly cats to the essence of genus's character and raison d'etre and what he's wrestling with in a way that ends with all the feels and a very silly costume for genus so all very on brand for tales but you'll love this because um one of the things that I was not expecting, it was not on my bingo card for Tales of Eternia, was also the origins of cats. And it's so up your alley because it's the same kind of mysterious hidden village. They're even more of like a campy and accessible thing because really none of them have emigrated beyond the village. So you mm. have to go out of your way to find them in like an old school JRPG hidden place on the map, right? So the kind of thing that you'd have to make an effort to find in like a Final Fantasy VII style world, that kind of thing. Uh, And when you get there, it's still the same silly idea of the cats, but the thing that is so fun is it's it's like you and I wrote them, frankly, because like (laughs) the party shows up, all right? And these cats, they're just hanging out demanding that the characters tell them stories that's their whole thing they're like they're hungry for stories and so you get these wonderful little vignettes of the different party members going around and telling stories uh as you would you know to a kid before bedtime to these different groups of cats from their own different perspectives and then the really fun thing is you leave town and you go back in and you see all the cats just reenacting the scenes that the party members told them about as if it were playing out in real time right so something as like silly and jokey as the fact that you know you go to a cat's village in one of the later games and you can replay all of the skits and different cinematics and moments from throughout the story it's like there's a reason for that it actually has to do with like the cat's culture and the way in which they like to consume and interact with the world so like it's nothing that i would be asking for but like every time i turn over a rock like that in the series it never lets me down that reminds me of um the same kind of feeling that I got when uh, in Nino Kuni, when you go to the fairy village and they're all just doing mm. like slapstick and, and yes. low comedy, like, <laughs> you know, just Monsai comedy from, from Osaka. Like it's, I, <laughs> I love that. It's like, yeah, their economy works on like successful jokes. If you don't get that, That's then you're, right. you're an outcast. <laughs> Shout out to my boy, Mr. Drippy. Speaking of some of the best JRPG mascots. Rocks. Yep. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, well yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, speaking of pet peeves, because I, I don't know how much sure. you want to get into this, but <laughs> since since it's on brand for you, speaking of, like, I feel like this was one of those weeks where I opened my Twitter to do with the terrible fate stuff. And every uh, time I opened it, you were ranting and losing your mind about something slightly different. So is there anything you want to vent for the class? I know a lot of it wasn't directly video game related, no, but this it's got to interest. This is a good tangent. Let me actually let me actually bring up like what I was saying, because it was just like one of those weeks where I think, so I had a, um, at work we had like these end of year reviews. So it mm-hmm. was really like full of argument at, at my job. And so when I would get off, like I was still in argue mode and <laughs> sure. I would just see, I would just see these things. I think the, the, the biggest thing that, uh, kicked me off was the new Ghostbusters trailer came out mm-hmm. and, um, I just, I don't understand why we're doing this still. Like it's, <laughs> oh no, it drives me crazy. And I just, I don't know if you get this feeling, but I am so sick of regurgitated old properties, like mm. coming back and, 
you know, it's different in video games, especially with like JRPGs, because it's typically like a new world, you know, there's a new world and a new story, Tales, Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts, you know, like all of these Mm. games are, they're brand new experiences. And there's something about movies that just, I'm getting really like tired. It makes me feel like I'm dying when you see (laughs) like, but it, it does where it's like you, you see these things that are just like. I don't know if you, you probably didn't see the trailer because I don't think you care. No, but I watched it. I didn't know it was happening until I saw you venting about it, which almost made me want to out of a morbid curiosity, but I figured better to just ask you because this is one of my joys for it, right? So like listeners, if you have a friend who is exhausted and feels like he's dying, like I do with Dan Hughes, (laughs) at least take solace in the comfort that you can use that person (laughs) as a form of abject entertainment in your own life. I'm also, I'm also historically a filter for you for like weird YouTube nonsense. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I've saved so many hours and gotten such a better experience out of youtube by using DanTube instead yeah yeah it's uh it's my it's my burden it's my curse it's my lot <laughs> but um you know it's so i i i think the reason that i was like so upset by this one is uh so ghostbusters 2016 came out and like broke the universe because there were women in it and then it came out and it just wasn't very funny and then mm. but it was also like a beat for beat rehash of the first Ghostbusters. So they weren't doing anything new. Hmm. Then Ghostbusters. Like similar to what they did with episode seven and Star Wars, right? Yeah, it was like a soft reboot. Yeah. And then then uh a couple of years ago, maybe last year, um, Ghostbusters Afterlife came out, which was this saccharine, just like it's like here's the thing. I, I don't think people understand why Ghostbusters was funny. And then it was also Mm. lightning in a bottle and they shouldn't have done anything past Ghostbusters because it's not a, it's not a universe. Like it's like, honestly, I feel the same way about star Wars. Like it, it doesn't work outside of the characters that you've had in the situation and the story Mm. that you've put them through. Because once you get outside of that, all you have left is like referencing that stuff. And it's just this like cannibalistic writing process where everything, I mean, this, this is a good dovetail off of our reference conversation earlier, Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. it's like, everything is just, do you remember this? Hey, this is a reference. Hey, you're, uh, you're in the know because you understand why, Mm. you know, um, Harold Ramis's, um, jumpsuit had a, uh, what was it? Like a Twix wrapper in it, like, or no, a crunch bar wrapper, you know, just like stupid stuff that (laughs) drives me crazy and it just feels like the the kind of hollywood machine is making movies that take no chances they don't want to do a new property they don't want to do anything Mm. new and i think the reason i was so upset was because i watched saw 10 like before that trailer came out and saw 10 rocks it's amazing (laughs) it's So I'm not even going to talk about what it's about, but it is such a, and I don't say this lightly because I love the Saw movies, but they're silly, but it is a mature Saw movie that basically took everything that had been up to that point, told a new story, slotted it into a very particular point in the timeline and made like really interesting, I'm not even going to say points, but really interesting character development for the antagonist of the series that we had never seen before. And Mm. they also utilized Tobin Bell, who I think I said in the last episode, like he's in his eighties, like use him as much as you can. But then I look at the Ghostbusters frozen empire is the name of the movie trailer. And I see fat Dan Aykroyd and I see like (laughs) zombie Bill Murray. And I'm just like, just let them go. (laughs) Let them go. Let them die and let Dan Hughes die. I mean, it's, it's just so frustrating. And then like the thing that really capped it off for me is that Patton Oswalt's in it. And I love Patton Oswalt. I think he's a brilliant comedian. I think he's a good actor, but, um, he has a moment in it where like he explains what the problem is in the movie. And then he just goes very cool like that. And it's like, don't comment (laughs) on your own story. Just like, I don't even care if the character is a nerd, like Lewis Tully in Ghostbusters one was a desperate nerd. 
But at no point did he ever say, like, I think a ghost is chasing me. That's neat. <laughs> it, it makes me feel dead. <laughs> so, so how do we make this fucking interesting? So I think there's a question here. So like if we're, if we're looking at, if we're looking at a story like star Wars or ghostbusters or even final fantasy or something like that, mm-hmm. right. Are there, do, do you see it as a situation in which there are some worlds that warrant the building out of a lore and a greater like self-referential universe that expands over several, you know, instances and that can be done in thoughtful and compelling ways. And it just happens to be that something like Ghostbusters is a different kind of story. Whereas you said, they didn't really quite understand what the conceit of it was in the first place. Or do you think they're just like, they're doing something with their storytelling. That's a categorical sin. I think there's a, there's a time and a place for that exploration. And I think it's, you know, the, the problem with, so I'll, I'll take Ghostbusters as an example, because Star Wars is different, but Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters comes out. It's amazing. People love it. Um, and it's a comedy. It is a comedy first and foremost about <laughs> three schlubs. That's what that is, right? It has a lot of interesting ideas in it because Dan Aykroyd is a real life kind of nutcase who I actually, I love Dan Aykroyd, but he believes in like um, spiritualism and seances Mm. and ghosts and stuff. So he put a lot of that in there, which is why I think the first one feels really authentic. Then there's the real Ghostbusters TV show, which I have seen a lot of. And that is interesting because it focuses on the characters and it does really great work with these characters in a way that we haven't seen them. Like it fleshes out that, um, Venkman, you know, uh, Bill Murray's character, he's like a cynic joker because he's like really lonely, you know? Mm. And, um, like Egon, Harold Ramis's character is like cartoonishly, no pun intended, focused on science to the detriment of other people around him. Ray, Dan Aykroyd's character, is so sheepish and naive that he often gets them into these problems that they have to get out of. Like, we see these really, you just take those three attributes, and then Winston's there too, and you take those three (laughs) attributes and you put them in different scenarios and you see how they grow and change. But it's different Mm. because that's a TV show. Then, like, five years pass, Ghostbusters 2 comes out. It's a rehash of Ghostbusters 1. That's all it is. And Mm. it's in this weird space where... Ghostbusters has infected the world. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. There's all these toys. So they couldn't make like a sincere movie because they were appealing to all of the hype around Ghostbusters. Like there was this thing where the public had a vision of what Ghostbusters was that was deeply different from the vision of Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis when they were writing the Mm -hmm. first one. Mm -hmm. And then they capitulated to that. George Lucas never did that. He always made what he wanted. And then Disney came along and made the new trilogy. And that's exactly what I just described. Mm -hmm. So I think it always comes down to, if you're going to tell a story, I think this is why I said in the last episode too, I feel very strongly about the hand of the author being involved in stories. And I think that I really believe that because I feel like when something feels like it's written by committee or if it feels like it's written by public interest or opinion um it just sucks and Mm. so when i see something like final fantasy 16 which i contend is one of the better final fantasies i see yoshi p's vision i see hamaguchi's vision i see their love for the series i see well you can't access an auteur in a work that's been written by committee right i mean those two things are antithetical you you need and you don't need to be a fancy like Hitchcock auteur, but I I feel way more comfortable when I'm watching a movie and I see that it was written by one person hmm. because they had, or two people even, because they had a vision that they were working on together. When you see like four or five names on a movie, forget it. It's it's just like a, a an autocorrect or a spell check for <laughs> how is this going to appeal to the broadest market? And that's lame. <laughs> So I feel I think that's that big rant is where I I tend to go with this kind of stuff is that um, Ghostbusters one feels like art to me and these new movies feel like products 
Mm. And I think that's the mm. big difference. I wonder whether you feel as if that same kind of descent into madness and as you say, productization can happen as easily in a video game as in something like film and TV. And I'll tell you why I ask. Actually, something that I was thinking about um, yesterday in terms of the Tales of Arise DLC was something that was so simple and so obvious once I considered it, but I had never really been led to think about it before this DLC because without spoilers for it, I mean, this is the conceit of the DLC. Uh, it follows up on the events and aftermath of the main game a year after all of that happened uh, and the, the game climaxes and resolves as it does. And then it picks up with the heroes, you know, figuring out what's next for them in the world. And again, it struck me as so obvious, but so interesting and a great way of unifying audience expectation with the story mm -hmm. being told to tell a story that engages with the same world, um, but does it in a follow-up that has the same kind of temporal distance and you know time that the characters have had to reflect as more or less has been the case in the real world for the people who played that game. So, you know, Tales of Arise came out two years ago. People played it. They experienced the story. They took the lessons that they wanted to from it. Then they put it down and moved on to other things. And so in this nice way of form mirroring content, we're being brought back to it with a certain understanding and expectations in the same way that we might imagine the characters are carrying around their own previous experience in the story. And so I wonder whether that kind of like necessary involvement of the player in the medium of video games kind of acts as at least like a defensive membrane to the eldritch monstrosity that you're talking about, or if you think that some gaming series you know, commit the sin just as much. Well, I have one that definitely does. So I'll get to that hmm. in a minute. But I'll say um, I do think that, again, the driving force is that there's a point and like I, I believe that in games that work like that, the developers were thinking, boy, but like what happens? You know, we, we ended mm. this, but like what, man, like, you know, in, in Tales of Arise, uh, I won't, I won't spoil it, but you know, after this shift occurs, how does the world work? You know, mm. I mean, um, Symphonia and, and Dawn of the New World are like that. Right. Sure. And I, yeah. I think that my example, cause I haven't finished on of the new world, but my example that I always hold on like a plinth is uh, final fantasy 10 two. It's a brilliant mm -hmm. look mm -hmm. at how a world deals with there not being a religion anymore. Like it's, it's so interesting. And it's also, that's the world building part of it. But the human part of it is that you're dealing with Yuna's loss of Titus. And that is mm. such a deeply, um, understandable character story that you feel like that's the thing that's driving me. The rest of it is really interesting and I'm happy it's there because it's set dressing for this conflict that I want to follow, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that a game series that doesn't do it is uh, Assassin's Creed. I mean, Assassin's uh, Creed is like the clear example, right? Like I don't I think I have that actually. codified in my head as an example of a video game series anymore. I think it's, it's like... A product. Yeah, it's metamorphosed into something more ambiguous and horrible and yeah. or, unbound or, by any medium or set of logical rules. And I, I say that instead of like Call of Duty or FIFA because Assassin's Creed is supposedly narrative-driven. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when they say... Capital S, supposedly. Yes, yeah. So, you know, the writing... I mean, it also falls into that J.J. Abrams mystery box shit that we both hate where it's mm -hmm. like we're just going to throw spaghetti at the wall and follow up with whatever people mm. seem to have the most interest in. Um, I think that that's, that to me is like, it is just a product being pumped out. Um, whereas, you know, when, when um, the Tales of Arise DLC came out, I think, I think we had similar reactions. My reaction was like, oh, that must be really good because why would they do this so long after? Yes. Unless they cared, you know? Yeah. And I think that it seems like that's bearing out. From what you Absolutely. It's the yeah. case where um, <laughs> it's kind of ironic, I guess, maybe seen in a certain light because like the indication to your point that no one was really asking for it is the indication right. that it's going to be like the best possible instance of that kind of thing. But the reason that no one was asking for it, I would put forward is not because 
now Tales is a relatively less popular series or something like that, but because of this underlying ethos that when they set out to tell a story, it's the opposite of a J.J. Abrams-style mystery box, right? It's something that is singular, yes, and cohesive, and because it's a JRPG with a million different threads and certain aspects of the world and characters that are in focus and others that are out, there are always opportunities to follow up and tell other stories, but those other stories are at most really interesting comments on and reinterpretations of and almost just exegetical enterprises with respect to that which has come before as opposed to something that is just baiting the consumer into having this insurmountable itch that they need to scratch by getting this next thing which i think is a big part of the problem for the other ones you're talking about absolutely i mean i will always respect a wild swing even if it's a miss mm. and i feel like 10-2 falls into that um I mean, from what I've played of Dawn of the New World, and I know you've you've already told me as much, like, that's a really great example. Yes. I would even say Advent Children is a great example, you know, mm. where it's like, we have something to say with the yeah. aftermath of Final Fantasy VII, and we're going we're gonna to say it. And I think that that's brilliant. And... Well, and and to your point about mm. the creators really wanting to say it in the way that made the most sense... I mean, one of the things that has really stuck with me the most from your half of the lecture we gave on Final Fantasy VII last year was this thought that it would have been so easy for Square Enix to elect to make another game. It certainly yeah. was not a money-saving practice for them to make a movie like Advent Children at the time no, when they made that. visual yeah. movie, yeah. But they made the very deliberate and thoughtful choice to not only continue the story of final fantasy seven but to say what the story that needs to be told next also needs to be told in a different medium than that which came before which is so opposite the kind of product hungry zombie perspective that you're talking about well i'm going to shout out another with a terrible fate favorite um and connect him to one of my personal favorites so i'm i'm a huge david lynch fan and i love his movies i love his work but i just i also love his thought processes ethos i love him and one of my favorite things that he talks about constantly is he loves ideas and he always says that an idea will tell you what it should be so if you have an idea mm. for a story it'll tell you this is a book this is a movie this is a song this is a painting and i feel like someone who exemplifies that is like yoko taro because mm -hmm. he has so many stories to tell and he's done it over so many different forms of media that you can tell, like, this is a man who cares about what he's saying because he recognizes, yep. like, no, this needs to be a stage play or this needs to be a little <laughs> novelette, you know? And I think that um, that kind of integrity is something that I really appreciate. And I feel like the integrity is what separates art from product in my mind. I would love to just peel back the layers of your brain in a less disgusting metaphor on <laughs> Japanese auteurs in general. Cause I know we've talked about that before, but you say that about Yoko Taro and I think it's, it's such an interesting counterpoint to what we're talking about productization wise in terms of things like Ghostbusters. Cause like I hadn't put this together with something like the tail series either, but I feel like it's pretty common in Japanese media that, you know, there'll be mainline video games, but then, a huge amount of supplemental content that comes out in other forms, right? You get novelizations of Final Fantasy VII, you get supplemental novels and manga for stuff like the Tales games. You know, one of the followers on the stream uh, sent me like a manga that never made it outside of Japan, except yeah. in fan translation of this character, Raven. Uh, you get AMVs, all sorts of other stuff. And I think it's, I it's a, easy. Uh, I have a Japanese manga, um, the volume one of Legend of Dragoon. You know, mm -hmm, like it, mm -hmm. it's, it's very prolific. Yeah. And so easy, things. I think from the outside to be cynical if you want to and say like, well, isn't that just the same thing as productization? But I think, I think for me at least, and I feel like you would agree for a lot of those thoughtful series, in many cases, when you're inside and have the context to be thinking about like the fiction and the different ways in which it can consider the characters and various aspects of it, that kind of multimedia dimension of it. I mean, it's a big part of why I love just the Tales games per se in the first place, because you sit down and yeah. play one of those games. One of the first things you notice is that they are distinctively multimedia themselves in a way that many it's, other it's, games aren't. 
Yep. Well, the yeah. skits, uh, also just the full on anime sequences that happen yes. at key moments yeah. in the plot. Like there's a lot of texture in those games because it's essential to the kinds of things that they're thinking about to be very mindful of the different form factors in which they're investigating and interrogating the stories and characters. Well, and I think, yeah, because like Persona's the same way. There's mm -hmm. the anime versions of all the Persona. I, well, I say all, I think four and five. Um, and, you know, those are kind of like uh, <laughs> disputed in terms of quality with the fan base. But <laughs> I think that what we're saying isn't like it's good automatically. What What we're saying here is that there's, again, I'm going to say that I'm going to use the word integrity. There's an integrity to letting the moment even in a piece of art be what it needs to be. So, um, oh, this is a really good, this is a Korean game, but it was, I, I played Lies of P recently and mm. there's a lovely part of it that I feel like um, I haven't read a lot about, but like people, I don't think people have talked about it a lot, but there's so many beautiful songs that you can fi you find like albums when you're going mm. through it. And then there's a record player at kind of like the, the bonfire um, <laughs> version of in this game and you play them and they're so um, deliberately an echo of what's happening in the story mm -hmm. that it really kind of, it's like a reflective moment where you just sit and listen to the song and try to figure out how it applies to what's happening. And, I think yeah. that like even things like that, that's, that's something that, you know, I guess another game might do journals. Like that's another thing where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I'm not going to have this said in a cutscene, but you know, in kingdom hearts, I'm going to have this, uh, the, uh, Ansem reports and that's going to give yeah. flavor to what's happening. I think it's just, it's just a good choice to make things different so that you feel like one, the world is lived in, which is always very important, but two, the world doesn't just exist when you're observing it as the player. There's things going on that you're not aware of and you have to seek out. I think that's the magic of these multimedia endeavors in a lot of games. Yeah, and there are different perspectives on the world that, as you said, even if they don't always pan out, they they are represented with sufficient care that they warrant investigating and asking that question in the first place. Yeah. Like one of my favorite fun little things that, I'll do with the Tales of Praxis stream that is just such a testament to the Tales games and one might not expect coming in from other video games and even, even other JRPGs is when we're picking up and working through a new game, someone or other will usually say pretty early on in the stream, like, hey, let's look at the synopses of the story and see the perspective through yeah, which it's I written. That. I've yeah. done that with the, the with every Tales game I've played to mm -hmm. figure out, yeah, exactly that, where it's like, who who do I think is writing this, you know? It's such it's a fun. great series. It's great because, yeah, without, and without giving anything away, like it's the sort of thing where you sit down and maybe you, you know, you use one to keep track of the plot points if you're in like a Tales of Symphonia and it's relatively like, you know, third person, omniscient narrator, maybe it doesn't seem that interesting. Then you sit down and play something like Tales of the Abyss and turns out that entire synopsis is written as the diary. I, you said journals, and that reminded me yeah. uh, of Luke, the main character. And it turns out there are many interesting narrative aspects and twists and turns and little details that you only get from that reflection that doesn't carry through in the rest of the game. And so just little things like that, I think, can sum to just incredibly rich and interesting experiences that, like, like you said, to go back to the original point, like enhance and come from a disposition of being interested in uncovering the nature of these characters and wanting to do that kind of investigative study, even as the creator, even before you let consumers into the process, like you were saying with Lynch, right? Which is just like yeah. the exact polar opposite perspective, I think, of what, you know, the, the big corporate storytellers do nowadays. Well, and look, I mean, I don't want to disparage because movies take a lot of people to work on them too. And, you know, there's a lot of jobs in there that are not writing or directing. But I think that my my greater point and why it, maybe I feel strongly about Ghostbusters because I really like the first one. Mm -hmm. um, but the uh, same with Star Wars because I love Sick, the first six Star Wars movies. Well, can I but, just not not to cut you off, but to double down because I know yeah. we were venting about it earlier. I would say the same thing, and I don't usually, but I think this is part of what makes me so enraged about 
Assassin's Creed. And I think you share this mm. too, because that for me, like the first really Assassin's Creed, it, yeah. was, it, it was more than me really liking it. Like I remember that was one of my games. And I think a lot of gamers had these coming up where like I was familiar with the idea of that game and I would see ads for it before I had ever picked up and played a video game really. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know if it was ever picking up or playing one or just, I didn't have the system for it. Anyway, it was one of those things that seemed so cool and foreign and like you you can do that in a video game you can be involved in that kind of like spy based subterfuge and history yeah. and i was so interested and drawn in like and so it really came like that that's so cool yes yeah uh and so to have that kind of like special kind of fantasy extension of my own like agency celebrated in what I would say was such a cool way in the first few games really made it feel to me, it sounds like what you're saying was something like Ghostbusters and Star Wars, that to a certain extent, part of what's upsetting about it is not this kind of, you know, just pedantic and sanitized academic frustration with it not being good art. It's a much more personal kind of betrayal of saying, look, this is something that I cared so much about and was drawn in so much with and you completely turned the tables in a way that seemed, you know, disrespectful, not only of the artwork, but of my involvement with it, right? That's one of the reasons that, especially when it comes to something interactive like Assassin's Creed, like I always kind of laugh and shake my head when people tell me, and I'm sure they've told you this too, like, oh, the series has gotten better now. It's good again. You should try it again. It's like, I'm perfectly willing to accept Maybe they are better now. It's also my prerogative as someone who was so involved with this interactive artwork to make the interactive choice of not, not engaging after yeah. they did something like that. I I think that that's definitely a part of it. And I don't want to, I don't want to conflate what you just said with the common internet thing, like, oh, this ruined my childhood or whatever. Cause I, that's yeah. bullshit. I hate that. Right. But what I, what I do uh, really have, distaste for is um you know it's like okay this is a recognizable property we're going to milk it dry and you know this ghostbusters movie frozen empire might be amazing but it's not going to be as amazing as something like the lighthouse or something like mm. um you know midsummer or i don't know like even um uh, a movie that I watched really recently that actually we, you and I need to watch Aaron called all my mm. friends hate me, you know, like they're, they're <laughs> <I'm in. laughs> these, it's so good. There are all these movies that take even a movie I didn't really like, but that I appreciated a movie called bodies, bodies, bodies. I really didn't mm. like it, but I, I see, I saw what they were doing cause it was different and they took chances and it's mm. like, that's great. And I just love that. Um, I love that movies are still being made that way. I think it's frustrating that um, it seems to me things have kind of flipped a little bit where the recognizable titles are kind of the big blockbusters and the new things are not. Um, but I will say to end this kind of optimistically, that was also a cycle in Hollywood. Like there was plenty of, mm. I think it was like the, the fifties they were making a bunch of new B movies and stuff, but they were also redoing like Ben Hur and stuff from the twenties and thirties. So it's, it's ever thus, but I think like, I think maybe I'm just, I'm just older and more cynical. But when I saw that trailer, I was just like, it was like seeing like a big billboard, you know? And I know that a trailer is technically an ad for a movie, but you all know what I mean. It just felt very soulless, <laughs> ironically soulless. Ah, <laughs> there you go. It's all connected. So but, where does that leave you in terms of your gaming? What are what are you playing well, and how are you thinking about all this in terms of the gaming world? So you mentioned um, Assassin's Creed being one of those like first games, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking um, I had this like real itch to play two games. One I have a reason for. The other one I don't really other than just nostalgia. One was um, the Arkham games. Mm. So I've been playing through... Um, Arkham Asylum trying to do some things I never did when I was a kid like get the platinum on it and stuff yeah um, I played that because I had finished Spider-Man 2 and I wanted to kind of go back to where it all began with the Arkham games hmm. um, Arkham Asylum is still solid um, it definitely feels older now but um, how does the stage come through just the size or the quality of life 
I think the size mostly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I haven't started Arkham City yet, um, but I feel like that's going to be a marked because that's still one of my favorites. I feel like that's going to be a marked difference with being able to do open world traversal. But um, did you ever play Arkham Knights? I never got around to that. No, I haven't played that. Mm. Um, I stopped at Arkham Knight, um, which is a good place to stop for a story. <laughs> so that was the third one, right? In the yeah. in the trilogy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you're, I was a huge fan of that one. Yeah. All of Gotham and Joker's like a paranoid delusion of Batman. Really right. <laughs> um, so I've been playing that. And then the other one that kind of fits the same mold to me is I went back to Dead Rising. Um, mm. I wanted to play Dead Rising because it was around Halloween. But um, I've also been thinking about Capcom recently because they've been doing a lot of stuff with like Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I just love that, you know, Capcom is the Resident Evil company. And then they also have this other zombie franchise, which is totally different from <laughs> Resident Evil and uh, just has a lot of charm to it. So I've been kind of lazily playing that one and enjoying the the ambiance. And I've written an article on it, how I think it's like the B-movie of video games. And I stick by that. I love um, that article. Yeah, where have I you had any new impressions of it on this most recent <laughs> playthrough? Mm. Not really. I think I think I'm I'm pretty set on my opinion on it. Like I think it's a great. It's a it's a weird. So talk about like weird uh, nostalgia, right? I feel like when you when people say nostalgia, they think PlayStation and N sixty four and before, but. I have a lot of nostalgia for the Xbox 360 mm. and um, Dead Rising is this hilarious mix of Xbox 360 nostalgia and like Bush era politics nostalgia <laughs> because it's all mm. about like, ah, we're going to, you know, we, we were, we were making bees that had a virus that would grow cows <laughs> to be even bigger so that we could make more meat for the population. And it's just like, it's such a funny, you know, idea. And and yet it manages to be scary. So even now there's a lot of disturbing stuff in it that I find still kind of freaks me out. So I wouldn't have expected to have Spec Ops the line called to mind by a description of Dead Rising, but, but <laughs> that sounds right, right on the money yeah, for yeah, that too. I think yeah. that fits in there. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I think it's uh so anyway, I've been those are ones that I've been kind of off and on on. Like I've got Arkham in the background right now on my TV. Um but uh I've also been working my way through Tales of Berseria, which I'm loving. Mm. Um, and I'm really savoring it because I'm really invested in it. Um, I would say maybe maybe more so than the others. And I don't know if it's because I like it that much more or it's because I have the others behind me that I'm more invested in it. It's a tough question to disentangle. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, But I'm really, I love every character. I love the setup. I love the reversal of the Zisteria narrative in mm-hmm. all the ways that it's doing. Um, and then I think I, it's one of those things too, where it's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I don't know if there's a way to say this without sounding gatekeepy, but I truly don't mean it that way. If anything, I think it's just words of encouragement to people. Like, I think there are so many really thoughtful series with just so many different distinctive forms of expression in any storytelling medium where you do kind of need to submerge yourself in enough instances of the series before you kind of are sufficiently oriented to know your way around what they're trying to do with any particular story in it. Like especially in a genre that is as like nuanced with as many tropes and just the average size of a typical story as the JRPG. I think it, it can be really hard to, figure out a model of how to situate all the different details and see the forest for the trees before you have a couple of those behind you. So I imagine that must help, especially with something like Berseria where there's just so much of that going on between like the relationships with Sisteria and the callbacks to other games. And there's a lot of connective tissue there. It's a lot of fun. And I love the, the combat system feels more uh, fluid to me. Um, Mm. I I really like playing as velvet because it's uh, more of a, feels more like a dynamic kind of punch em up kind of game. Um, <laughs> and you get to eat a lot of stuff. And you get to eat a lot. 
And uh, that's funny time, actually, because uh, yeah. we, we opened before we started the podcast with you talking all about your keto adventures to also be working <laughs> through a JRPG that I will die on the hill of saying is all about food. That is yes. the core theme of Berseria at the end of the she day. Can only, I love that they keep saying like she can only taste blood and she's like, yeah, hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life. It's fine. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm really interested to see where it goes. And like I said, I'm, I have two kind of mindsets where if I'm kind of tired or I don't, I don't feel like super clear headed. I don't want to play a game that I really want to pay attention to. Mm. Um, so I've been juggling more games because I know Arkham Asylum like the back of my hand. So I've just been kind of playing that for fun, but Dead Rising too. Um, and then of course I cracked open Tales of Arise and I made it to the aftermath of the Doholim adventure. Ah, um, nice. And so I'm working through that so that I can fully enjoy the DLC. Well, don't let the twists and turns of that story leave you too hollow. It can be uh, pretty demoralizing at some points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, though. I've been playing, been playing a lot. I've got a lot on my shelf. Um, like I have the uh, Metal Gear collection that just came out. Mm. Um, oh, I didn't realize that had dropped. That was on my list because I, I know that's one good. of my embarrassing gaps that I so rarely talk about. I never played through those as a kid, so I really want to get through those. I would love to love to get your thoughts on it i i'm also this is like a refresher because a lot of them i haven't played since i was a kid or they came out um mm. but i've got that and then um oh alan wake 2 is on my list because it's getting amazing reviews i do, what did i fucking say it's like sometimes i feel like you don't listen to me dan i didn't know it was out <laughs> i didn't know I, whatever I, I thought, no because i was deep in i was uh why did i think I thought it was coming out in like, um, I think what I did was I was like, oh, the games that I really want to play like more like that I'm really invested in that aren't just like games that are coming out that I want to see what they're like are Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and Alan Wake 2. And so mm -hmm. I think I, I was just like, well, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out at the end of February. Alan Wake 2 must also come out. <laughs> because Persona 3, the remake, is also coming out at the end of February. So I'm like, oh, okay, everything. So I'm, I'm going to have to juggle my time. <laughs> right. So I have to get on Alan Wake 2. I'll probably do that after my, my Tales excursions. But I'm really <laughs> excited for it. It looks amazing. Oh, man, that should be fun. Fun, too, to probably go back to and revisit some of the themes we've been talking about in this conversation with it. Because uh, to my memory, and I think I played the first one and it's DLC, like, probably a year and a half ago at this point, that but right, yeah. I remember it as a great instance of a tight, thoughtful story that didn't need anything else. And then yeah. expanding it with a DLC that acted as like a nice coda to dwell further on things that were not totally well-developed in the story because the story was concerned with other stuff. And also through that DLC opening the door for where a sequel could go in a way that like, felt warranted as opposed to leaving you on a cliffhanger or something like that. So interesting way to kind of, you know, through multiple entries in a video game series, like engineer that kind of broader series path that we're talking about without, yeah. at least to my mind, and I think to yours, making it feel like a cash grab or something that's inauthentic. No, I mean, from what I've seen, yeah, that's like, that's like an unproductable game, Alan. <laughs> like you can't yeah. just be like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the joke from uh there's a great video on red letter media's youtube uh where they're just going through all of their vhs collection yeah and whenever they get to a a sequel so it's like you know swamp tentacles 2 and they just go it happened again <laughs> <laughs> alan wake 2 it happened again you can't really do that with alan wake <laughs> he woke again <laughs> no it'd be like trying to make a marvel franchise out of like the short stories of borges yeah <laughs> oh no you and i would um, show up but i don't think they'd be grossing billions <laughs> no maybe that's maybe that's their hail mary when they start losing money on uh, i kind on of hope projects. so yeah <laughs> They turn to Boris. Oh my God. When all else fails, wander oh. into the garden of forking paths. Well, yeah. it's the middle of November. I mean, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was, is, is 
like game of Dan's year on your mind yet? Are you even thinking about things in those terms? Yeah. Final Fantasy 16. No question. That's my game of no. the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, close runner up is um, Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a third. Oh, you know what? No, runner up is tied with Tears of the Kingdom and Octopath Traveler 2. Mm. Um, wow. But Final Fantasy 16 is the runaway winner, definitely. Mm. What about you? I don't know. It's been an interesting year for me because there's certainly been a lot of great things that have come out that I've quite enjoyed and had a lot of thoughts on between 16 and Tears of the Kingdom and of course Future Redeemed. Um oh, sure. but it was one of those one year one of those weird years for me where like especially with all of the time I've been spending on the Tale series, I've almost found myself and maybe this will come off as stodgy, but kind of more enjoying the games that I have like elected to revisit and construct my own Mm. adventures around, as opposed to the games where I've felt like a compunction to play them as soon as they've come out just for the sake of like, you know, being in that moment in the zeitgeist or something. Do you know what I mean? Do you feel that difference sometimes? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, uh, video game donkey, does something I love, which is um, his like top 15 or just the top 15 games he loved that he played that year. Yeah. And I feel like if I, if I'm Jeff Keeley at the game awards, you know, I would give it to final fantasy 16. Mm-hmm. It so happens. Final fantasy 16 is also the, my favorite game that I played this year. Yeah. Um, but I think what was my, my game of the year for our list like years ago was like Dragon Quest Eleven. That came out years and years before that, I think. I think that's so right. Yeah, we've always what, kind of done it that way. Yeah, so with all the games that you've played this year, with all the Tales games even, like what what is your personal game of the year that you played in 2023? Oh, it's such a big question. It's like trying really to like choose my out. favorite child. I, I feel like that's what my gut is telling me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of little stories of, you know, moments or experiences that I loved. Like I really loved being able to kind of turn myself around on Vesperia after years of really not appreciating or understanding that. Right. Um, it was great to see destiny and it's really tight story that is foundational to a lot of stuff. But yeah, I think, I think Eternia is really just one of those games where I think the first thing I said to you about it was, I think it's just an instance of a perfect game in terms Mm -hmm. of having something very clear. It wants to say, and it wants you to experience and everything in the story uh, and everything in the game, just ruthlessly bending towards that in a really transparent and evident and rewarding way. Um, And there were so many like things of the kind that you and I have talked about over the years in terms of just, innovative or groundbreaking or challenging things that I think there's like a bad reputation in the gaming world that only like avant-garde or like indie developers who are doing something weird and fourth wall breaky will even attempt that were just beautifully integrated into this game with no pomp and circumstance, nothing tongue in cheek about it, just in a way that purely uh, functioned in service of the story and a truly like genuinely emotional experience that i had with it and that's so hard to pull off in any story let alone like a 40 to 50 hour jrpg epic so i think um i think everyone would be served well by playing that i guess i would go with attorney yeah it's definitely on my my ever-growing tales list but i might (laughs) shift things around for how much you've lauded it but yeah i think um you know maybe maybe i'll say more on we should do I mean, the one episode we planned should be like a, you know, year in review. That would be fun. I'd love that, yeah. I think, um, yeah, 16 for me is just like, it's only gotten better the further away I've gotten from it. Um, In Mm. my mind, I love the characters deeply. I love all of them. Um, The brother relationship, I'm an older brother, so that really hit me hard with Clive and Joshua. Um, And... uh, I think like I I know we kind of differ on this, but I really like the vague weirdness of Ultima. I think mm-hmm. he's the best villain that they've made since geez, uh ten probably, I would say. Like the the first villain that I've really liked and mm-hmm. thought was interesting. So it just hit on all cylinders. And I, I listen to the music every day. I listen to Find the Flame wow. when I'm doing my hike every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Yep. 
So, you know, I have a lot of love for Caius, but I uh, I respect Ultima for what he is oh, or is I left not. Out Caius. Also. Yeah, okay. Since you Caius, did, then. Yeah. gotta <laughs> wag my finger at you a little bit. I mean, what else do you have? Like well, the joke, boring gods of Final Fantasy 13, and I then know. boring Devil Man from 15. Like that's <laughs> not 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 some <laughs> stiff competition. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I forgot Caius. Like Square Enix forgot Caius. <laughs> oh, like time forgot Caius. Yeah. Oh. So no, okay, Caius, yeah. So it goes Seymour and Sin, Caius, Ultima. That's all right. That's I last, respect that. Yeah, that's the last <laughs> really good stuff that's happened. But yeah, that seems yeah. fair. <laughs> I don't know. It's been, and we should talk about this in another one too, because I don't want to bog this one down. But um, I know you've been you've been kind of lost in tales, but th- this year has been. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little caveat. I'm gonna put a little asterisk. I know it's been very difficult <laughs> on game developers and. I, my heart is with them and, you know, power to the people unionize. I believe in all of that deeply. Right. Um, so I want to get that out of the way. However, it's been an amazing year for games. Like mm, the, the yeah. games that have come out this year, it's mind blowing. It feels, this feels like this was the first year since the pandemic that we've been like back with video games. I'm intimidated by everything that's been added to my own backlog. I mean, even of the things we've been talking about, yeah, like Spider-Man two, Alan Wake two, um, uh, Lies of P I still have to play. Yeah, yep. a million little things. People keep telling me, I don't even know if this was this year or maybe the year before, but Inscription is one that keeps coming up. Everyone Under the Sun says I need to play that. Oh, I forget. That um, might have been... That might have been last but year. But yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah. There are a lot of good publications in the in the water these days. Yep. It's a good time to be a gamer. It is. And uh, next year is looking pretty good too. So, well, good a time as any to wrap up. So, I would say... I'll, I'll plug it for you. Join Aaron on the stream, Tales of Praxis. He's going through uh, the DLC of Tales of Arise and uh, going at it pretty vigorously from what you were telling me earlier. <laughs> so, With verve and overwhelm, which is the only way to do something like that. But yes, with great five-hour blocks of new JRPG content is, uh, yes, quite a lot of relish on a hot dog. And you put, you put all the VODs up on YouTube, right, on our channel? I do, yes. Yeah. Yep. So if you miss them live, they're always up there. And uh, me, oh, oh, this old chunk of coal. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm working on the next Poka episode. Um, I'm doing a, I'm doing. I'm a excited for that. I'm doing a couple of them in order because I have a through line that I want to do. So um, when those are done, they'll come out in rapid succession but in the meantime i'm just going to be catching up on all the tales games <laughs> with Aaron. i know and I'll, I'll i'll do you the reciprocal favor of plugging that pokemon series because as usual you are underselling yourself but we had a wonderful moment on the stream yesterday where even working through new tales content it somehow turned in at around hour three and a half to a living ad for Dan's Pokemon series <laughs> because Chrissy was there and we something came up that was Pokemon. And there there is just such rightfully earned recognition for how what you're doing is, you know, not just not to say just, but not just a personal reflection on the Pokemon series and, you know, the nature of its storytelling and cultural impact and how that shaped you growing up, but also in typical Dan Hughes fashion a wonderful narrative experience unto itself, taking people on a journey through your journey of thinking about these games. So people haven't checked that out. Uh, it's all podcast content. It's all Dan all the time. And uh, <laughs> even like the, the best testament I can make to it. And one of the reasons that I love it so much is I have always been on the outside of the Pokemon franchise. And even as an outsider, I get so much out of the experience of listening to you talk about these games and how they've shaped you over the years. And especially like how you've come back to them at different points in your life and kind Mm -hmm. of charted your own development as a person, let alone as a consumer of literature, according to these games. I think it's a a masterful way in which you invite people with all kinds of experiences of the same color into yours. Well, thank you. And I think it's, uh, you know, I said in the first episode that it's not often, I think Tales is the same for you. Like it's not often that you have a series that, um, came out when you were very young and has persisted till now. Like now that I'm, yes. I'm, th- I'm 30 years old and Pokemon has been around almost as long as I have. So it's one of those things that, as you say, I've come back to. And so I always have these little sparks of thought that turn into these Poke episodes. So yes, tune in <laughs> and uh, tune into this show too, because we're going to be doing it pretty regularly. So I'm psyched about that. Always good to talk with you, Aaron. 
uh, we'd do this anyway. So it's nice to record it. <laughs> so, Agreed. <laughs> yeah. But we will see everybody next time. And until then, have fun with whatever you're doing gaming wise. Cheers. Always a pleasure. <laughs>